Hello, and welcome to Rocket Accelerated Geek Conversation. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace. I'm Simone de Rochefort, a senior video producer at Polygon, and I'm here today with Christina Warren, senior cloud advocate at Microsoft, and Brianna Wu, oh, executive director of the Rebellion Pack. <laughs> I just traveled back in time, back to when you were a congressional candidate. <laughs> That's right. That's right. And it took me about one second. And then, as you can see, I traveled forward in time again. I've been watching Outlander. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Today on the show, we'll be covering how Stars' Outlander uh, finally got its season four on Netflix. Nice. Uh, (laughs) No, we will never speak of that because it makes me want to die. We'll actually (laughs) be updating you on the game stonk situation, as well as talking about some of the financial apps that our own hosts use. Uh, 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 uh. Um, and we've got a double dessert for you. And of course, uh, another very important story, which is that Jeff Bezos is leaving Amazon. Uh, well, not leaving, but okay. becoming executive chairman. Becoming executive chairman. He's no longer chairman. Amazon CEO. Yes, not being Amazon CEO anymore. Um... And on that note, let us talk about GameStonk. So, actually, can we do a real quick update, real quick? I yeah. just wanted to give a shout out to um, listener Matt, who was able to hook me up with a Ryzen 5900X. That was oh, awesome. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm still waiting on like a couple of parts, but that, like, that was amazing. So I just wanted to give you a huge shout out Christina to that. Why would you Christina build a supercomputer? That's not good for something. <laughs> She's going to destroy us all. This is some pinky in the brain stuff, okay? <sighs> That's not going to work out. Some people get all the tech. <laughs> Their names are Christina Warren. <laughs> all right. So last week, as you know, we recorded our Game Stonk episode covering everything that had happened up till Tuesday. And then the rest of the week continued. So shortly after we recorded that, um, lots of stuff happened, including GameStop's stock, I believe, had risen to a high of $483 um, before then, now since then, cratering. Um it continued to rise on Wednesday of last week, uh, and before it ended up crashing again, uh, the app Robinhood that all of the day traders were using to uh, buy and sell stock without paying broker fees, uh, that actually that app actually banned trading of GameStop stock. So people saw their stock frozen. They could not uh, buy or sell, I believe. Um so that all happened last week. Uh, since then, things have calmed down quite a bit more. Uh, we saw AMC stock undergo a similar, though not as drastic, rise and fall. Um, and GameStop has now uh, sunk according GameStock. to... A- you just said GameStop. Just, did I just do it say. again? Yes, oh my God, did. GameStop <laughs> stock has sunk more than 40% um, uh, now following a 31% slide on Monday, according to AP News. It is now again below $100 per share. Uh, and I, it actually, before this whole thing started, it was at $18 per share. So it's, it's not quite down as low as it was before uh, Wall Street Bets targeted it, but it's on its way. Uh, some other platforms responded to the stock uh, kerfuffle. Discord actually shut down a group uh, that was like Discord's our our Wall Street Bets. I believe it was it was called our Wall Street Bets, even though it wasn't a subreddit. Um, they did not shut that down allegedly for uh, 
insider trading <laughs> or right. you know stock market fraud they essentially said uh there's hateful and discriminatory con- discriminatory content happening here and we've warned them repeatedly uh we're shutting that down uh i think that's a vein of discussion that we will follow later um and then on reddit the original subreddit wall street bets uh was taken private uh reddit said that the moderators of the group took it private and that reddit had not taken action on it um, and as of now, that's pretty much, that's pretty much where we're at. So I wanted to do a follow up on this topic, Christina, because you were on Twit this week. Mm-hmm. And I thought you had, you know, sometimes Air Christina needs to ask you to take some bitter medicine. And you had some bitter medicine for people that I, I thought it was, it, it was a little much for me, but I thought it was very well said. So I would, I would love for you to kind of rehash that for people. Um, what, what, what part? I mean, like the fact that, like, that you're going to lose in this, that this is, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, No, this is bad. Right. This is what I was kind of worried about last week when we were on the show, I was trying to balance it out with the fun, but what we were seeing happened on Monday and then, uh, yesterday and, you know, it kind of remained steady today, but it, you know, as continued to drop a lot was exactly what I was worried about when we saw the, the price get so high and so many people buy into the momentum, this is not a company that has uh, any rational reason to hold up to this. And obviously, people can make the argument, oh, but this isn't a rational bet. Okay, fine. But the the billionaires are fine, right? Like, they're not getting hurt in this. The people who have lost a lot of money, and you see this in the Wall Street Bet subreddit now because people are now um, doing their uh, their loss porn is what they call it, no. you know, where they're showing how much, how much, how much, you know, how much money they've lost. Some people, it's like a substantial life-changing amount of money. Like if you yeah. invested $10,000 of your savings into it last Wednesday and you are still in it now, you've lost that $10,000 that you invested because it was higher than 89 then. And, um, it's just going to continue to go down. Right. So it's, it's, uh, it's bad. Like, um, and you know, I, I think that my concern and we, we talked about this a little bit last week too, and I don't want to like belabor the point too much, but I feel like there was, you know, so much talk about like the meme aspect and kind of the joke and whatnot. Like it was super easy for everybody to get caught up in the rush and just the, the, you know, excitement and really just focus on like, yeah, this is going to be this great you know thing or this is hilarious and not think about the fact that the people who lose, the people who will be the last ones out, the people who will be holding the bag are not the rich people. Like that we, I had mentioned last week that that South Korean hedge fund, which had bought not short positions, but just had actual shares that they owned like 5% of the stock. They sold and they sold on Friday, I think. Like they they liquidated mm. their position. So they made billions, right? Like, like. I'm not sure exactly how much, but it was probably at least a billion dollars is what I would think, depending on when they bought in, because they owned so much, you know, um, a, such a large percentage of the stock. Those are the winners. That's the actual winner is is a, is a South Korean hedge fund. The losers are going to be regular people who were, you know, for whatever reason, convinced to get in on this gambit for the yeah. lulls. And, yeah. and I think that's really unfortunate. And I also feel like the media had had like some has some culpability in this because so much of the coverage and I get it we're all slack shot and it's hilarious and I even almost bought dogecoin um after we reported <laughs> our show last week because that was starting to rally and I was like that's nuts but everything is crazy so screw it 
And I didn't because I wasn't able to to buy any, um, which is a good thing. But like the hype around it, the mania, I really feel like did play a role in kind of contributing people who, yes, everyone should take personal responsibility, but also we should all think about the fact like what do we do when we're perpetuating and talking about this stuff unskeptically and framing it as, you know, rich people versus the little guy when the little guy is going to lose. Yeah, I think it would be one thing. I, I think it's one thing. Oh, my words. In essence, like, I do think it's great and funny, but it stops being great and funny when it's not just like a bunch of single investors buying an $18 share and just like holding on to all that. When it started being, you know, people spending hundreds and thousands of dollars, like, it it stops being a joke, as you said, because people are, those people are going to lose out. Does that make sense? It absolutely does. I couldn't agree more. Um, I I have a really I, I have a lot to say about this, and some of it's technical. Um, Rocket listeners, I don't mind sharing with you. I made a lot of money on this whole thing. I was very fortunate. I got in at the right time. Um, I had money that I could have lost. It wouldn't have been a big deal. And I'm just very very fortunate. Um, that said, when we recorded the show last week, it was pretty much on the way up and there's a lot of things that happened. Mm-hmm. Um, so I want to, I want to take it one at a time. Cause I think there was phase one of it. And I think now we're in phase two and we're moving into phase three. So phase one of it is where I think there was a, a fair bet to be made, mm-hmm. which is someone on wall street bets found out that, uh, basically the short positions in GameStop were over 100 and 40% of the value. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I want to say that again one more time. Mm-hmm. The entire value of GameStop, people on Wall Street, and particularly a couple of hedge funds, had betted uh, short on that stock for 140% of the value. <laughs> and they decided you know, a normal, healthy amount to short a company might be like 20%. 140 is just crazy. And they found a weakness in the market and decided to basically do a short squeeze. That's when I got involved. And that is that was that was robbing the billionaire hedge funds. That is a fine thing to enjoy. That was phase mm-hmm. one. And I would say that's from like eleven dollars up till about one fifty. What happened after we recorded last week? is you had several things that happened. Uh, basically, liquidity pressure on Robinhood mm-hmm. caused them to stop uh, them from selling GameStop. Uh, the underreported stories, it was not just Robinhood. No. Uh, one of my banks, Ally Banks Trading, also completely sabotaged wow. this. TD Ameritrade completely sabotaged this. And there was a high level, like Christina, you're talking about the the billionaires always win. This is how they won. And I want to be really technical here. So if GameStop's price is going from $11 up to like $150 and then skyrocketing to about $250 where it was for most of the week, they broke the game to destroy the, um, the, the, the buying pressure on the market, right? So if no one can buy the stock, of course it's going to go down. 
And this is where I think there is some culpability that has to happen for anyone that got involved with stage two. Because at this point, we knew that the hedge funds had uh, taken on additional cash to solidify their positions and gotten out of their short squeeze. So now at this point, at phase two, you're artificially trying to keep the, the, the price of GameStop high because a bunch of people are like deciding that it's there without anyone to F over. And and you have Wall Street that basically broke the game to make a bunch of money on them. And now we're in phase three, which is, I think, a really unfortunate position. You see this on Wall Street bets, and you see it on Twitter, where you have people that could not afford to invest this money, and they're putting you know memes out there, don't sell, stay with it, yep. stick with it. They they're they're counting on this GameStop price to shoot back up so they can cash out and make money, mm. but there's no billionaire to squeeze here. Yeah. Exactly, and, they're not coming and, back and, in. Right, they they already exited their position. Right, right. Like, like like Melvin Capital wrote off their position. I think it was Thursday. Um, yeah, it, it, you know, and and that was I think even before. Robin Hood, or maybe right right as Robin Hood had had ceased, you know, had started limiting what shares you know uh, you could buy because of of lo- the liquidity issues, uh, which they explained horribly. And it was a you know massive cluster for them, but I, I do truly believe that it was not a. And I have nothing kind to say about Robin Hood, but I do truly believe that it was not a. We're working on behalf of the rich people thing. It was a. We do not have the money to insure all of these bets. And right. so we we have to legally limit what we can allow people to purchase. I, I mean, you know, and, and that that that's what happens when you have these types of brokerages like like what Robinhood is because they don't have that much money. It's, it's not like TD Ameritrade. I think you have to take a closer look at, uh, you know, but, um, you know, something like, like Robinhood is very small compared to someone like, say, Fidelity, right? I really feel like my my strongest suggestion to people that might be holding GameStop right now, I understand there's this meme of hold the line, yep. but GameStop's ultimate value, they're, they're sure to get some long-term stock bump from all this hype that's going to help the company. I would guess that it eventually falling to a price of $50 would be an amazing unearned win for this company 100%. where they where they might be able to claw it back if you bought at $200 and you're like holding on to it I mean, you're really effed because mm-hmm. you have to hope that there's going to be like another run by Wall Street bets to go in there and pump this up and hype it. But it's, I mean, I don't understand. I'm in that case anyway. It's still like non investors who are right. <laughs> going to lose right. out. Right. I don't understand why that wouldn't be a pump and dump scheme it at is. that point. It, right. it's, it's become a pump and dump scheme. I mean, the only way that you could potentially do this, there are some people in like the subreddits and on Twitter and places who still seem to think that there is this massive, massive outstanding short interest. And there might be, but we don't know what, what price people have their short positions are. There could be some short p- positions who were just like, yeah, you know what? We're waiting this out because we don't believe that this is going to you know, like end up being, you know, as expensive, even at $90, we think that it will be lower. And so if I'm taking a loss on this, 
I'm not going to be taking as big of a loss as I would right now, right? So so that's that's one thing. Um, but it, I think like if you could make the argument that there were new short positions being created in mass, mm-hmm. then maybe you could say, okay, maybe you could time it right and try to squeeze it again. But you have to you have to ask like, and I'm not I'm not discounting that there aren't new people who are creating short positions, right? Like I'm not giving anybody any financial advice. I'm not messing with the stock at all. If I were if I had like money that I could afford to literally flush down the toilet, set on fire or whatever, I would probably take a short position. I don't know what dollar amount and what like call date I would have, but that would probably be what my you know thing would do. Although this whole thing has been so nuts that it's impossible to predict. But I don't think that you have people who are shorting this to the level that say Melvin Capital, which I've pointed out before, I'll point out again, is not a big player. Like they're irrelevant. Like you're not going to see that sort of position happening again, where you have like literally mm-hmm huge amounts of the stock from, you know, single players buying up short positions. I just don't see that happening, which means that doing yet another squeeze the exact same way strikes me as very unlikely. Is it possible? I guess. Do you think that we'll see, or do you think it would be effective for subreddits to continue looking at the stocks that are being shorted, the top stocks that are being shorted and doing this over and over and over again? In a I world mean, where these people continue to have money to be able to do it? I mean, I guess it depends. The interesting thing is, like, we've seen short squeezes before. This is not the first time this has ever happened. This is the first they time that it's happened quite this way. It. Exactly, exactly. And that was that was with naked shorts, which are different than um, what, what this is. But what we've seen this sort of thing before. This isn't a new concept. And, and you know, Roaring Kitty, uh, who was the first person who did this, who, you know, is financial advisor, he was really smart. But I feel like this was a perfect storm. And the reason I say that is even though we did see rallies in some stocks like BlackBerry and AMC and Nokia, um, you didn't see any of them have the same impact. Mm-hmm. And BlackBerry has been for years one of the most shorted stocks. So that would to me be like if, if you were really going to go after that, that's been one of the most shorted stocks for probably at least five years, I'm guessing. Uh, yeah. And so I would think that that, would, that one would have bumped higher. It didn't. And in fact, what happened there was that executives who had like 450,000 shares clearly had sell orders in when it hits this amount, sell all my shares mm. that, that they that they executed, right? And there's nothing wrong with that. Like that's a very common thing. Um, but you know, that that was that that's proof that like even the like the CFO of the company is like, yeah, I I wanted I had my sell order at eleven dollars because that was what was going to make me a certain amount of money because my my options were guaranteed at a certain price or something. I don't know if you could do this again, to be totally honest. I'm sure people will try, but this strikes me as like one of those kind of perfect storm phenomenons. And now that everybody knows what everybody's planning to do, I -hmm. think that it would be impossible to be as successful to do this again, unless you literally do go into a genuine market manipulation, illegal pump and dump kind of scenario where you're trying and you're actively telling people we have to act in concert to get the price of this stock up, which, Mm. yeah, I'm sorry, that's against the law. Like, it doesn't matter if you say, oh, well, that's what, you know, the hedge funds do. You know what? A, it's really not. And and B, it doesn't matter. Like, that's against the law. So I I don't don't know. I, I I don't think we'll see this repeat itself, but who knows? I don't know, Christina. I kind of disagree because, I mean, I think people like me have made a decision to have a non-trivial amount of money liquid to that if we see a situation like this again, to 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 move in. 
Sure. And I, I don't think I'm the only person looking at Wall Street bets every day. And look, most of it is it's children terrible. like talking about stay with GameStop, stay with GameStop. I am the F out of GameStop. Like right. I made some nice money. Uh, uh, no. But doesn't that kind of see... go exactly to what yeah, Christina is saying and that this, this long, it wasn't really a long-term squeeze, but that this like concerted squeeze won't happen again because people, for example, like yourself can see it happening and then sell just like the CEOs who have, sell uh sell orders are doing yeah that's a that's a point and i don't disagree i just think i think there are a lot of people i think it could actually be bigger next time because i think more people could participate i mean maybe i think i think the hard thing there though is yeah more people could participate but you also have people who could who could backstop other positions i mean what what i don't what we didn't talk enough about last week was the impact that um once the rally started it was no longer just retail investors and Wall Street bets people who were getting in on it, right? Yeah. It was everybody who was getting in on it. Like it was in 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 high you know frequency traders are better at this and have more access to tools and they can make more calculated instant trades and they can get in and get out much more quickly than other people can. And so you started to see the pump for like the the, the rally for more than just the stick it to the man reasons, right? Like it, it became yeah. a phenomenon separate from that. And I just don't know. I think it would be rare. I mean, I'm not saying it's impossible, but I think you'd have to find like a really specific company. And so much of this seemed to be, at least in the beginning, fueled by like resentment and anger. And I wonder if that can carry on when a sizable portion of the investors are going to lose everything. Like, I wonder if you can capture that level of of anger again to get like a mass number of people because otherwise... Mm. You know, and 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 I've been in some um, um, discords, and I've you know followed the the um, Wall Street bets. I've actually known about Wall Street bets for years, and and they've made some big wins and some big losses before. Like the the normal community, this was not an unknown thing that they would do. The size and the scale and the success that it had obviously was, but it wasn't like this is the first time they've ever you know, gone after things for certain reasons. Like they are they're looking for loopholes and looking for ways to maximize and make money. Uh, not really for a political position, and yet it turned into this political position sort of thing. And that's the thing I don't know if you can recapture. But who knows? Yeah. I mean, I've been I I've been wrong. I, I I thought that mm-hmm. all of this would have already calmed down. I'm not surprised that it's gone down, but I'm actually part of me is still surprised it's as high as ninety dollars. So I'm not predicting what we're going to see next because who knows? This is this is kind of unprecedented. On that note, let's take a pause and let me tell you that this episode of Rocket is brought to you by Squarespace. Make your next move with Squarespace. It lets you easily create a website for your next idea with a unique domain, award-winning templates, and more. So maybe you're out there wanting to create an online store, or maybe it's a portfolio that speaks to your heart, or maybe it's a blog that will let your fingers fly across the keys, spreading your words to the world. Squarespace is the all-in-one platform that lets you do all of those things in one. There's nothing to install, no patches to worry about, no upgrades needed. You don't have to worry about it. Squarespace has it covered. They have award-winning 24-7 customer support if you need any help along the way, and they let you quickly and easily grab a unique domain name. And all of their award-winning templates are beautifully designed for you to show off your wonderful ideas. I have personally enjoyed building Squarespace websites in my, my past 
It's one of the only things in my past that I'm truly proud of. Um, and they are really fun to build and they have all new templates uh, from like the first Squarespace website that I built up till now, which is very exciting. I recommend that you check it out. Squarespace plans start at just $12 a month, but you can start a trial with no credit card required by going to squarespace.com slash rocket. And then when you decide to sign up, use the offer code rocket to get 10% off your first purchase of a website or a domain and to show your support for rocket. Once again, that is squarespace.com slash rocket and the code rocket to get 10% off your first purchase. We thank you, Squarespace, for your support of this show and all of Relay FM. Squarespace, make your next move. Make your next website. At least the kids say they're actually going to cast me in the next live action adaptation of Les Mis that they do. <laughs> uh, that was my audition tape. Thank you so much, everyone, for your support. Um, so Bree, I did appreciate your content of oh, you being you. a Greek goddess uh, oh. this week. On yeah, don't you wish that I, my voice sounded like that all the time? <laughs> yeah, that would be great. That would be Our good. listeners agree. <laughs> uh, Bree, you had a great suggestion for another topic for this week, kind of building off of this whole GameStop situation, which is to yes. talk about the investment and banking apps. I just hit my microphone right with my thumb. So sorry. The investment in banking apps that we use ourselves. Um, and it seems I both of you are quite savvy about this kind of thing. Um, and uh, I would love to know what you're on, where you're at. Where well, can I find I've, your money? Uh, <laughs> I first started off on this uh, adventure because the uh, the I have my normal bank account and I have my online only bank account that I've actually used for Rocket. Like I started it for Rocket years ago and it would just be my, you know, F it, do whatever money with it. Like I bought a, one of my Porsches with that money. So, um, and it's closing. Simple is closing. Simple is a great bank. So I went through like a an ordeal trying to uh, open up a new bank account because of that. And I would love to know y'all's like opinions about what you use because I started this week trying uh, trying to open up a, a, a VARO account because uh, their interest rates were really, really good. Uh, and my experience with this was their customer service was absolutely broken. Mm. Uh, for a routine question, I spent 30 minutes on hold, couldn't get anyone. And they told me that they would take six days to answer my emails, which was the point where I'm out. I'm closing that, that bank account. Uh, then I tried Ally, uh, which everyone online told me had great customer service. But uh, with the whole GameStop thing, I, I spent half of uh, today and part of yesterday on the phone with them uh, just trying to get my investment account opened up. They are an absolute nightmare. So I closed that one. So oh. I'd love to know, like, what do you guys, do you two have any kind of online only banking account that you use that you've enjoyed? I do. I have two. So when... Yeah. Um, when I did the podcast with the um, uh, T brand um, and and Verizon um, in the fall, I needed to form an LLC and create a, a business account because I've never done that before, and I needed to because even though I'm still like single person, I can tie it into my taxes. It was just going to be more complicated, so I, I needed to open up a business banking account. And what I uh, realized with that process was that Chase and Bank of America, who are who I have my other accounts with, weren't being super helpful. Like Chase wanted me, A, they were going to charge a not small monthly fee. Like it wasn't a big deal, but it was, they were going to charge me a monthly fee. 
and they wanted me to come into an office to apply. And I'm like, that's garbage. And Bank of America, who I've been with for 20-something years, wasn't really giving me some of the the same rates or some of the same features that some of the other banks did. And so I asked for people's suggestions. And so I um, opened an account with um, Bluevine, who they have been a big um, supplier for PPP uh, or or PPE, I guess, um, uh, loans uh, for uh, um, people uh, during, you know, the last year or so. But they also have a business um, checking account where they promise like a certain amount of interest up to... I think it's like a hundred thousand dollars or something. They they Ooh. offer like a what like a, a one or like a one or a two percent interest rate. It's 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 a it's a better interest rate than what I was going to get elsewhere. And mm. they have no fees. Um, it doesn't have any sort of monthly fee. Like I think that their only fees are for certain like I guess like wire transfers, but for ACH and other stuff, it's low cost. It's reasonable. They have an app. They're backed by I can't remember the name of the bank, but it's it's some bank in California. When you sign up with them, they give you like they'll send you a, a MasterCard debit card that you can use, um, and and they're working on I think some other options as well. You can use Plaid, which is a um, startup yeah, that's that, awesome, which is awesome. <laughs> Plaid Plaid basically lets you connect your bank accounts or whatever to other app services in a really seamless, great way. It's kind of like Square uh, or or um uh yeah, it's it's kind of like Square or uh, what's the other one, Stripe, but for connecting financial institutions together. It's really great. And mm-hmm. so they use, they use Plaid. Um, I, li- I like that. And then um, after I'd signed up for that account, and they approved me really quickly. So like I gave them my EIN and, you know, some of my other details. And I had approval for an account in a couple of hours, wow. um, and I, which was way faster than what I could have had with the Chase or Bank of America or anybody else. And um, I also heard good things about Mercury. And so I also signed up for a Mercury account because I was like, it won't hurt to diversify. And they took a little bit longer to approve my account, but it was still within like a day or two. And they also, similar thing where they offer, you know, a certain interest rate, low fees, uh, no monthly fees, you know, low or and like reasonable, like one-time things for certain types of transfers. It's online only. They'll also send you um, a, a debit card. And I've liked both of them. Uh, I think that uh, Mercury probably has the slicker app interface, but they both have have been really good. And I'm not mad in the slightest. Like, again, this is not an account that I'm using for my day-to-day kind of banking stuff, but um, I I haven't been disappointed at all. And so, uh, because I remember I'd asked you, Bree, and you would talk about Simple, which I believe is is shutting down. But they didn't. A lot of people are sad about that. Right. It's great because it was the Apple of banks. It was totally. It was was so easy. It was an amazing product. Yeah. Um, But but, uh, I I actually couldn't have used Simple because I needed a business account. So uh, so both I can I can say good things about both Mercury and Bluevine. Mm. So the the place I eventually ended up opening up my personal and my savings account with uh, was uh, was USAA, and with USAA you have to have a uh, family member that uh, is in the military to have served. There are some other ways to get around it, but you know my dad was in the Navy, and before they disowned me when I came out, they had my car insurance <laughs> with them. So I was very fortunate. I called them up. I'm like, hey, remember that account I had with you guys back in 1994 give it back can i reopen that they're like well what email address did you use back in 1994 no i'm like 
oh crap. So like after a lot of uh, trying to figure that out, uh, I opened that up. It's been a great experience so far. If you can keep $10,000 in your savings account, the interest rate is amazing uh, with USAA. And the service has been really good. Like I've gotten someone on the phone uh, within a minute every single time. So um, that has been a better experience than either uh, Varo or Ally. Um, I wanted to talk about like uh, actual trading apps too, Christina, Mm -hmm. because I mean, Robinhood, I think a lot of people use it and it's I mean, it's nice that when you're transferring in money for the first time, they'll trust you up to a thousand dollars. Right. I guess I that's wouldn't okay, trust me up to a thousand dollars. There it is. Oh um, no! But it's also, it's also like um, you know, can't really do anything worthwhile in the stock market with that. You know, that's not a lot of money to get big gains with. Honestly, so, that's just gambling I, money. Yeah, it really is. So. um, I, I'm curious, Christina, do you do this at all for like managing a 401k or whatever? What what apps have you found that you've liked with that? Um, Fidelity, actually. Um, yeah. All of my uh, 401ks are with Fidelity. My um, uh, stock from Microsoft is with Fidelity. And I believe that they've lowered their fees or, or they're, you know, at, they might be at zero fees now. I'm not really sure what it is. Their fees are fairly low. Um, their app is really good. Mm-hmm. I really like their app design, to be totally honest. It's not as gamified, of course, as Robinhood is, um, but it is easy to, you know, deposit checks, make trades, you know, transfer funds. You can even, you know, send money with PayPal from your Fidelity account, which is really nice. So obviously, they're one of the huge institutions, but I do have to say I I like their their app, and it's one of those things that I can – I that's just kind of who I've stuck with because um, – I feel we had the a same choice. way about trading apps that I do about my president, which is that it shouldn't be fun and sexy. Yeah. <laughs> it shouldn't make me like, <laughs> right. Want yeah. to, well, I guess the president should kind of make me want to spend money. But anyway, <laughs> sorry, continue. I, I think that's really insightful, actually. Yeah, actually, I, I think you're completely right. I, I completely agree. Uh, Christina, I'm just like you, uh, Fidelity and TD Ameritrade. Um, I think Robinhood, like I, I, I decided to put some money into Robinhood to experiment with it and have a better opinion with it. But I've been really unimpressed with it uh, thus far. So I think to anyone out there, if like you're trying Robinhood, I just want to let you know there are adult options out there with financial advisors that will actually help you and uh, give you uh, better advice than Reddit possibly. Do you know if so. Fidelity has like a I, I am on Fidelity, I guess, disclosure um, mm-hmm. for my 401k and everything and some individual investments as well. But do you know if they offer like free consulting or is that something that I w- you get if you're with it through your company? That I don't know. Because that would be interesting, but I, Robinhood obviously doesn't. That would be good. I've never used. I've never used it. Like I, um, I, I would assume I'd have to pay for it. I wouldn't get anything free from my company, but I'm yeah. not sure how that works. Um, I know that a lot of trading companies, if you open up with X balance, they will give mm-hmm. you a free financial advisor to go with that. So, for instance, uh, part of part of our money is in Vanguard. Right. If you have an account with over three hundred thousand, you get an advisor. If you have an account with over a million dollars in it, you get a senior advisor. So I think as long as you have enough money in there, you can definitely get someone on the phone and say, 
these are my goals. I want to retire at 60. This is how much I have in liquid assets. So um, as long as you're serious, uh, that's definitely something a lot of financial uh, firms will give you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I myself, I don't have any trading apps. That's one thing where I'm like, I, I will not do that myself. I mm-hmm. will let a professional do that for me. So all of my stock accounts are just not, they're either automated or my uh, a financial advisor will just tell me numbers and I will put the numbers in and then I watch the account do thing. Um, the one big financial decision that I did make on my own was to open uh, a bunch of CD accounts with Barclays, um, which then my financial advisor, when I got her, was like, you know, I want you to have access to that money. So we're just going to let those close Hmm. one by one. I was like, okay, Alex. Um, But Barclays has dope savings uh, interest rates. So I I then opened another savings account with them to roll over the CD money into. And I have not regretted that for one second. (laughs) Um, And their app is pretty easy to use as well. So that's my recommendation. I mean, I have some money in CDs. I think that, um, you know, I, I like, Christine, you and I have an unusual amount of tech industry knowledge, I think would be fair to say, right? Yeah. And, like, we talk on the show sometimes about, like, you know, NVIDIA, right, and the long-term future of that. I was looking at them today. If I had started investing in them way back when, when I was like, I think they've got a good future ahead of them, look at their stock. They're doing pretty well. So I think you can safely have some of your money in, you know, in, in NVIDIA. I just think it's... Do, do you know what I mean? Like 100%. it's got to be a percentage of what you do. Like No, no, I agree. Like I'm I'm probably I'm not doing as well as I should. Like I should diversify. I should probably um sell my my Microsoft shares um uh, and and diversify some of that more. I have some I I'm in, you know, mutual funds and some other things, but um I should probably diversify that more than I have. But the stock has been really like <laughs> good. So yeah. it's been one of those things where like it it's hit I think basically an all-time high might have hit or very close to an all-time high today. So it's one of those things where like there's a part of me that like knows I should do that and there's another part of me that's like, eh, this mm. this, this this seems fine. You know, I should probably diversify, but at the same time it keeps going up and and like if there were to say be a split or something and, and I'm not saying that because I have no knowledge, like I have no clue, whatever, but you know what I mean? Like that would be yeah. the sort of thing where I'd be like, okay, that that could be really advantageous, right? Like to 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 keep holding all those shares. Plus also candidly, it's free. So like it, it doesn't, um, impact me as much. I'm, um, cause I'm not, I also dumbly like not buying employee shares, which I should do. I should just buy them and sell them, um, uh, like at the max because that would just be free money period. But, yeah. um, I mean, you could put a stop or, I mean, again, oh, not financial advice, but if I were in your shoes, I would probably, keep it there. Like I'm looking at that. It's doing very well. I would put a stop order, uh, at a certain amount and then, yeah. Let us put a pin in this (laughs) since now we're just talking about investments, uh, and move on to our dessert. (laughs) All right. So the big, big, big news, which I think we are going to touch on briefly because it's the some, for some reason here in the back half of the show, 
As I mentioned at the top of the show, Jeff Bezos is stepping back from the CEO role. He's becoming the executive chair of Amazon. And Andy Jassy, who has been with the company since 1997, will be taking over in Q3 of this year. Uh, So basically, this will let Jeff Bezos still be the big, big man on campuses, um, but not be in charge of the day-to-day operations. And I think maybe more importantly for him, be like the face of every Amazon decision, um, which I I think to some extent he always will be that, but it will mean he's not like the one sitting behind the desk pushing the pen, as it were. Ah, so as much as I truly, truly resent Jeff Bezos and believe he has made the earth, the earth a worse place and uh, been a terrible, terrible uh, boss uh, for the many people laboring at Amazon, uh, it's definitely a win for him. He's done a great job running this company for years and years and years and built it into an incredible success. And I hate him for it. <laughs> Good for you, Jeff. Carry on. Yeah. Enjoy the rest of yeah. your life. You're going to be rich forever. I mean, look, I, I I don't hate him for it. Like, I feel like it's very correct to have, you know, critique how Amazon has approached labor and, and some of their, you know, uh, other practices and whatnot. But I don't know. I mean, just strictly like looking at him as like a business leader. I it, It's hard for me to think of anyone who has done what he's done, which is transformed multiple industries like he not only completely transformed retail like 100% transformed it like Amazon completely transformed retail and in a way that I think has had some negatives but I I think has also had some positives but also like cloud computing was in in the data center more specifically completely transformed and so the the guy who is taking over as CEO is uh Andy Jassy who as you said has been there since 97 so he's basically been there since the beginning and he ran the Amazon cloud division um based on things that I've I've read uh, seemed to indicate that Jeff had kind of stepped away Bezos had stepped away from day-to-day operations a while back and that I guess there was kind of maybe a, a bake-off between Andy Jassy and the uh former head of um the the retail side of Amazon um, that person whose name I can't think of announced his retirement a few months back. And so there's some speculation that maybe the reason he announced his retirement was because it became clear he was not going to win the succession battle. So he retired. They moved someone else into that role. My favorite uh, show. And totally mine too. Sorry, and, uh, and, and And Andy Jassy is now taking over uh, as CEO. And, and that move is not unlike when uh, Microsoft, uh, when Steve Ballmer, who who was the second CEO of the company when he uh, stepped down uh, slash was pushed out, I guess, six years ago, Satya Nadella, who was then running the cloud division, Azure took over as CEO. So, I mean, I think Andy Jassy was the obvious pick. And from people who I know who work at Amazon on AWS, they say that he's like genuinely a very nice guy. And so I, I have hope that maybe that will have potentially some of the same impact on culture as like, you know, you look at what happened at Microsoft, like I wouldn't, and I've said this publicly and I'm not, I'll say it again. Like I wouldn't have worked at Microsoft under Steve Ballmer, uh, but I'm very happy and proud to work for the company under Satya Nadella. So uh, it's, I think it'll be interesting to see what happens, but I think regardless of whatever else you think of Jeff Bezos or Amazon, I think like it's impossible to kind of overstate their impact and, and their importance. And it's, it's kind of mind boggling to think about like, 
how not just one but two industries have been utterly transformed by one company in a relatively short period of time. Yeah, it's completely nuts. And that's part of the reason why I personally am not hugely optimistic about a large or a drastic cultural change happening even under a new CEO is that Amazon has done so extraordinarily well for itself. And like you said, it's changed the entire world. It's changed multiple industries. Um, And the ways in which it has done that have created such deep inequalities that I don't, however much of a nice guy he might be and however much within his personal team he may have made the culture of that team um, good for the people working on it. I think when we're looking at all, like the huge breadth of Amazon, I just don't have high hopes for for that culture changing for the better in a drastic way under one person. I mean, it's fair, but I will also say like, again, like I came to Microsoft a few years after uh, Nadella took over and there are still, although it's gotten less and less over time, kind of talks of old Microsoft, but it was very much... Like, and it takes a long time. Like when you have big companies, changing culture takes a really long time, but it's not impossible. And the only thing I'll say is like, I've I've witnessed it happen. I've witnessed it happen even the length of time that I've been at the company where things have changed and the culture has changed and and the way that the company reaches out to people and the way people operate changes. Because what happens is if the new regime comes in and they have a certain set of standards. And I'm not going to say that this is what's going to happen because I, I don't know anything about him other than um, people who I've talked to who work directly with him who say nice things about him. But it, it does start at the top. And if people are rewarded and are promoted and do well based on a different set of values, then the people who have the old world values end up leaving either of their own volition or because they're pushed out and they because they, they feel like they have no other growth potential. And that ends up being the thing that has like the trickle down effect all the way down to, to the bottom level people, because it really it comes down to with the executives. A lot of times it, for many of them, it's like, how quickly can I, I, can I get promoted? How big can my bonus be? And a lot of that is based on like the things that what leadership sets, like what are mo- our most important metrics and what are our most important things. And so there's a there's the possibility. I'm not going to say it's going to happen, but there's a possibility that that could happen. It it takes years to happen, and and you know Microsoft isn't all the way there. Although it's a, I've talked to people who've been in the company for 25 years who it's a completely different place than when they joined, and they had already moved with the times. Many of them had evolved far beyond, far before the the CEO change, and and stayed and succeeded after the changes were made. So I totally understand your skepticism, but. I, I guess I'm sort of in a unique position in that I have observed that it is possible at, you know, huge multinational companies, not to say it's easy because it's not, but it's it's possible if those are the values that, that you know, the leader comes in um, with I mean, wanting to under have. Satya Nadella, we got sexy terminal. Do you yes, think <laughs> that Jassy could bring such change to Amazon? <laughs> I don't know. I wish them luck. <laughs> uh, I'm just going to say, I, I, if I were buying stock in this, I would short sell the idea of Amazon not continuing to uh, uh, treat their workers in their warehouses like meat for the machine. Uh, I just, I think and they're Jassy inherits the, to... the whole FTC thing, right? Like that's going to be his problem yeah. now, right? Yep. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, dear. More stories to cover in 2021. <laughs> 
All right, let's move on to dessert. It is a banner week for <laughs> Resident Evil fans yet again. <gasps> they are thriving. So they are horny. They are thirsting for tall vampire women. Uh, so there is a demo <laughs> so right good. now out for Resident Evil Village, which is the next Resident Evil game, Resident Evil 8. Um, and there's a there's a tall lady in it. And quickly, when she was revealed online, people were like, wow, <laughs> that's a tall lady. Um, she's a tall vampire lady. And uh, Even then they played the demo and they were like, wow, that's a tall lady. And fervor over the tall lady, whose name is Lady Dimitrescu, released such a fever pitch that Capcom did put out a statement um, clarifying, thanking people for their interest in this tall lady and clarifying something very important, which is that she is nine foot six inches tall. With a hat. With a hat. Which is so important. And I really appreciate them stepping forward and making a statement like this. Because it really shows respect for the tall lady lovers. (laughs) Of which I count myself. Oh, I'm totally with it. I love her. She's so good. She's great. I have really enjoyed watching the like the fandom uh, excitement around this. Like even people outside of Resident Evil fandom are like, she's just great. It's just a wonderful ter- character design. I almost said terrible design, which is not true. It is a wonderful character design. She is so striking and also frightening um, and also attractive. Uh, I love this tall lady. Uh, <laughs> I saw a very funny tweet today being like, the Resident Evil devs are panicking right now, reali- realizing that the tall lady is an act one boss who dies four hours into the game, <laughs> which we don't know. It could be true, though. I mean, we kind of saw that in um the last Resident Evil game. You know, all the demos were focused on those initial levels in the house. And then the rest of the game, of course, goes beyond that. But all of the marketing and demos we saw were focused on that creepy, creepy house. Um, And what we've seen in Village so far is focused on, again, this creepy, creepy house and these sexy, sexy vampire ladies who are so tall. So I'm interested. uh, The marketing has worked on me. I'm certainly interested to see the rest of the game. Yeah, I was going to say, as a Resident um, Resident Evil, like, Stan, Bree, what what are your thoughts on, on our tall lady? So, okay, uh, she's she's an interesting design. I mean, you know, you know what this is like? Like sometimes you will you'll see a stat talking about how like milf porn is one of the the most popular things out there and you'll be mm-hmm. like, "Oh, okay, that's interesting." Uh, okay, that's cool. And and to me because she has a very matronly vibe to her right like literally because she has daughters that are the other evil vampire thing so it's like uh obviously i think tall women are beautiful for for very self-interested reasons but Mm -hmm. i i didn't think her design was like that sexy to me personally um but uh, like apparently this is a real thing and i think that's great um as just a resident evil fan um personally i think resident evil 7 where we move to this first person view um is just a inherently less um compelling way to play resident evil than the behind the shoulder uh feel of like everything from Resident Evil 4 or Resident Evil 3 remake. So um, I played through the demo. It's just not really my 
my kind of game as much as a traditional Resident Evil, but uh, I'll play this. Um, I'm excited for it, and I just I love uh, I love all the hype about it. Mm-hmm. And I love her hat. I will say, like the hat reminds me a lot of Carmen Sandiego. Yes. Which is which is always a good thing because and, the and I know that they're totally too. different characters. It, ex- I was going to say the whole thing gave me very much like Carmen Sandiego vibes, which makes me a Carmen Sandiego fan from the the um, 90s uh, PBS game show, like very excited. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. definitely wonderful work. Uh, all right. Final, final dessert of the day. Uh, this one from Christina. This is our mini dessert. So we've had our dessert. This is actually the espresso that we're serving mm-hmm. at the end of the meal. <laughs> yep. uh, Precisely. There, there's a theme park called Evermore that is suing Taylor Swift uh, over the name of her album. Christina, I'm sure you have things to say. Yeah, I mean, this is just one of those like bizarre lawsuits. Like, if Taylor Swift has has famously like fans have complained because she protects her trademarks very closely, which she should. That's how you keep your trademarks. Uh, and fans are like, "Why do I have to take down my Etsy merch?" It's like, yeah, because you don't own those phrases or like designs. Like that's why. But um, but sometimes it can be you know for for silly things people think that she trademarks. But in this case, this is kind of bizarre. Uh, part of me wonders if this was just a stunt on part of like this Evermore theme park, which I've never heard of, like to get attention because they're like claiming that they can't be doing that much this year in terms of uh, customers in the actual theme park itself. (laughs) Well, totally, totally. Well, they do have the the URL evermore.com and um, they were complaining that uh, there's real market confusion between the Taylor Swift album and their theme park, which, okay. And (sighs) then they were also complaining that like, their SEO is worse because Evermore ranks higher than than they do. Like if you Google search Evermore, but in the response to the lawsuit, uh, Taylor Swift's lawyers were like, "Yeah, so how come you tweeted about how much more traffic you were getting after oh, the album was, was released, right?" And and they were also like, "And to be clear, like we don't sell any of these, you know, like items or whatever that, that you sell." So the whole thing is silly. But uh, yeah, I just I just thought it was hilarious. It was like you're going to go after like one of the most litigious people like who has every I dotted T crossed like person really tweeting about the traffic is such a big whoopsie. And obviously that the person who tweeted that didn't decide to file the lawsuit, but I bet the lawyers (laughs) are just face palming violently. (laughs) Completely. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. sorry, Go go on. No, it's just gonna say put. Don't put me on that jury because I'm gonna find for Taylor Swift. I 100%. think this is this is dumb. Uh, Evermore is a very popular phrase through mythology and a lot of different other. I mean, like what the secret of Ever- Evermore, the the secret to uh, the sequel to Secret of Mana. Yeah, they're gonna sue uh, the theme park now. Give me a break. There's no person that's gonna confuse a theme park with this it's ridiculous it's it's the definition of a frivolous lawsuit and i i frankly hope she countersues because it's so ridiculous yeah the one thing i will say though and i don't know if either of you saw this but there was a fantastic um youtube video from over the summer where this kid brett and i talked about our done overtired created his taylor swift themed theme park his video on like his idea, like he kind of like has drawings and all kinds of things of how it would work. It's about all of her albums and he had to kind of fit folklore into it. It's like an hour long. It's wow. amazing. So that I will find the link and um, give you uh, 
a chance to watch that because that's actually awesome. Like Taylor Swift land is, it should be a real thing now. And, and I would be down for that, but that's really the only, um, theme park thing that I would want to see. Sorry. It's 28 yeah, minutes please long. Do link that. That sounds great. It's, it's actually great. And the uh, kid is super cute. It's really good. Other than that, Christina, what are you doing this week? So I am, um, I had some work stuff this week, which has been great. I've been able to connect with some colleagues and that's been really awesome. And so I'm just uh, going back into, I guess, kind of regular, you know, business stuff uh, for the rest of the week. I'm waiting for some final parts to come in for my computer, which I will then start building finally. Yay. And uh, that's that's basically it. And Brie, what about you? Uh, let's see. This is the last weekend that I get to enjoy. Uh, I have a follow-up knee surgery next week that will hopefully get me back to running uh, by the end of uh, of uh, May. So Yay. I'm really excited about that. But I'm going to be back on the Oxy next week, and I'm Ooh. looking forward to that. Oh, so, it's going to be a good time. Um, oh, I hate that stuff. I, I realize people get addicted to it, but it is just, it's, oh, it's I'm so I'm glad miserable. that you hate it. Yeah, it's Same. terrible. Um, other than that, um, finishing up some a uh, bunch of stuff at work. We're getting involved in uh, Nina Turner's race, uh, so that's obviously a focus for us. And uh, putting up big new ads. So that's what I'm up to. Some. Uh, I'm not doing much this week. Hopefully, shooting a video to be out <laughs> soon. Um, I don't know. I'm still hitting that same wall I was hitting like last week or whenever we talked about that. I'm just so freaking tired. Um, so I'll just be watching Outlander on nice. Netflix and uh, that's going to give me energy because it will make me so angry. <laughs> can, can I say something about that? Please Simone? do. I have, I have really felt this as well. I would love to hear from Rocket listeners on Twitter. I feel like I've held in on pretty well for the pandemic and I worked my butt off through the election, but I don't know what it is. I just feel like as soon as Biden got into office, I feel like my, my energy and mm -hmm. ability to focus has just, it has plummeted. And I I don't know what's going on. And is that just me? Have, no. Have we all hit a wall? What's going on? I think it's got to be some kind of like threat response thing. Yeah. Like the large threat is removed. Therefore, all of the adrenaline that has been coursing through us for the last four years, like, which is not to say, of course, that everything is perfect now and dandy, but it's like after especially I think the the strain of the election in November and then the horror of the insurrection in January and then the election, like the uh, inauguration where nothing really went wrong. I think it is just some kind of like adrenaline release where your body is like, okay, I'm not going to die. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's it. Maybe that's, that's it. I mean, I'm I, not a psychologist. This yeah. is just my armchair thought. Um, however, it is my feeling. <laughs> um, yeah, and it sucks. It, it sucks ass. I I really hope I get back to yeah. you know full full bore soon um, for sure. And we are still in a. I mean, we're coming up on year one, our one year anniversary yeah. of being in a uh, pandemic. So like, mm -hmm. there's that too of just yeah yeah. Anyway, what a great note to end the show on. Um, 
Thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode of Rocket. Please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts uh, and share the show with a friend if you care to. Thank you so much. We'll be back with you next week. This episode of Rocket is terminated. 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 Terminated.